Welcome to the Deliberate Leaders Podcast. I am your host and executive business coach, Allison Dunn. Our topic today is traditional hiring criteria versus modern needs. Our guest is Ken Schmitz. He brings over 24, excuse me, 26 years of experience in recruiting and moderating leadership panels. Ken serves as CEO and founder of Turning Point Executive Search, providing high-touch recruiting for senior level positions. He is the author of The Practical Optimist and the host of Leadership Happens podcast. Ken, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks, Allison. I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Me too. I love to kick these off with a deliberate conversation. What would be your number one leadership tip for our listeners today? Well, there's so many things come to mind. That's a really good question. I think really these days, the, the I've, I'll kind of combine the two because in my mind, they go hand in hand. It's vulnerability uh, as well as transparency. And I think anybody who is, is is looking to become a good leader or a better leader has got to uh, kind of in, kind of find a way to you know kind of infiltrate, if you will, those areas and get those areas you know kind of um, injected into their own st- style of leadership, their own management style, their own approach, their own communication. Uh, to be truly effective, you've got to be transparent and you've got to be vulnerable. Awesome tip. Thank you. Um, so today we're talking about hiring um, criteria, and you know, I I think that one of the things is that what we were speaking about even before the podcast started is the fluctuation of um, like what happens in the recruiting industry and growth of businesses, and it feels like last year was a little bit of a, a quieter year, and I even feel unprepared myself. Like things clearly have changed, and hopefully you can shed some light on the things that we need to be thinking about when we are now recruiting in this new year, 2024. So what, exactly. what would be the top five skills that we should um, drive uh, every new hire, hiring decision to grow our firm? Yeah, I think it's, it starts with, you know, really understanding what it is you're trying to accomplish. What is the goal of filling a given position? That's number one. I think that that sounds very common sense. It sounds like, oh, that's, that's a given, but you'd be surprised in our in our executive search practice, how often we talk to leaders and, and you know, chief HR officers as well and CPOs that, you know, think they want one thing. Then they talk to the hiring manager or the board or what have you, and it turns out that what they actually need is something different. So I think number one certainly is you know making sure you truly understand what you're looking for. Number two is you know developing a a relevant but also a compelling job description. You know we I always I always joke that I'm a marketing person stuck in a in a recruiter's body. But you know the 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 ability to attract the right person, the right candidate, is all about your ability to market that position. And if you don't have the right job description in place, then there's no way to really position it well. And but also to tell a compelling story, and you've got to do that to get the best people in today's market. That's number two. I would also say, you know, when you're deciding on on recruiting a position, you've got to figure out who is going to be on that interviewing and that decision making team. And it's yeah. two different things, right? The people that are interviewing may, may have veto power. They may be in, a, in a, an executive leadership type capacity and they have a, the ability to give a thumbs up, thumbs down. But in a lot of cases, you just want somebody, th- that person to be in on the interview, to have another perspective, another set of eyeballs, to look at it from a specific you know, angle, if you will. But they may have a contribution, a data point to give to the overall decision, but they may not have an actual veto power. So clarifying early on you know, what that person's role is, is very, very important. 
I think number four is timeline, right? We always, we always joke with our clients that, you know, we realize that they're coming to us to, to engage us, to help them to fill these higher level leadership positions, because there's a sense of urgency. They're not saying, Hey, can find us somebody in the next year. They want somebody relatively quickly, but what comes with that question is, do you have a physical space or a virtual space set up for that individual? Are you truly ready to have this person come on board and do all the appropriate and necessary onboarding to get them feeling like they're part of the team from day one, especially if they're a virtual hire? You've, you've got to you know go above and beyond what you used to do pre-COVID when everybody was, was in person. You have to go above and beyond to really get them to know who they are, what their role is, and really feel comfortable and part of the team. So that onboarding and timeline is really important. Uh, and lastly, I would say, you know, you need, you need to understand the makeup of your team. One of the things that we talk about a lot with our clients is they, they'll say, hey, Kim, we need to hire a new VP of marketing or a new COO. And they'll, they'll send us the job description that was used the last time they hired that position. They haven't looked Been at there. it. They haven't, re- yeah, they haven't reviewed it very well, right? And instead, they are just kind of pulling that off the shelf literally and physically and just plugging in the new role when they haven't realized, okay, you know what? We actually don't need all these things anymore. Our business has changed. Our department has changed. Our market, our, you know, our competitors have changed. So what do we actually need today in this role? And then more importantly, going forward, do we want this person to come in and grow into the role? So we're going we're to kind of hire somebody as what we call kind of an up and comer. It's going to expand into the role. Or do you want somebody who's already a tried and true that can scale up, that already has that experience, experience, you know, um, running a larger team or a bigger business or whatever it might be. And we want them to have come in having already done the bigger job and ready to do it again when we get to that point. I think um, all five of those are really, really great foundational things to be thinking about even before you even decide to post a job. So um, great tips. I am curious and I'm I'm not, um, I don't know if you'll know the, t- the answer to this, but you're hiring for C-level positions uh, as a recruiter. Is there a most, um, what did you place most last year? What C-level s- suite position did you do the most recruiting for? Yeah, so uh, I guess kind of clarify. So we're we're recruiting uh, leadership positions. Sometimes yeah. it's a C-suite title. It could be a CMO, you know, CSO, what have you, uh, COO. But um, a lot of times they are director or VP level titles. Also, it's still a leadership role. They're still overseeing a team, definitely. But because we work so much in that middle market and kind of lower middle market space, sometimes the director of marketing is reporting to the CEO directly. And has a team of five people, but there's no true CMO in place. So just a little, little uh, you know, caveat there. But in terms of, it's, it's such a good question, and it varies so much from year to year. I would say in 2021, we did a lot of hiring around marketing. That was a really, really big piece. Companies were trying to figure out what was going on with their marketplace with COVID. You know, they had to change things up, offer up new business lines, accelerate. You know, new new uh, uh, business pr- proposals, if you will, or new product launches, accelerate that and pull it forward. So marketing was really big in 21. In 22, it was a lot of kind of chief sales and sales leadership positions uh, where companies had marketing in place. They kind of had a little better sense of what was happening, you know, quasi post COVID. And now they needed someone to come in to really help them either enhance or completely reshape their go to market sales strategy. Then you look at 2023, which is last year, and it was more about operations. 
we had a lot of searches that we did that were around operations. And you know, I've, I've been recruiting for for twenty almost twenty seven years now. And operations, when I first started back in the late nineties, that was a very siloed position. You had to do only supply chain, or only you were focused around process improvement or policies and those kinds of things. Fast forward to today in, in 2024, and operations has to be able to collaborate with and communicate with and impact sales and marketing and IT and the, the factory floor and the folks, folks that are on the front lines. You know, an operate a truly effective operations leader has to be able to, you know, understand all those different facets of the business and understand the ripple effects of decisions that they're making in operations, how that trickles out to the rest of the organization. So operations is certainly a very, very important aspect of hiring right now. Oh, that's fascinating. I love the fact that you kind of have seen that trend towards things. Do you have any guesses as to what the position of the year will be for 2024? <laughs> there, well, obviously, I mean, AI is, I think, the two most yeah. overused letters in the in the entire globe, right? Everybody says AI this, AI that. But but I think in all in all seriousness around that, a lot of, of need is out there around data scientists. And yeah. whether you are a, an individual contributor, we call them IC roles, where you're actually doing the analysis, or you're at the strategic level, you know, chief data officer, chief growth officer, or some uh, newer positions that we're seeing out there. And their role is to really not just extract the data, but to synthesize it and figure out how to apply what the data is telling you, you know, to the business. And what, if anything, can you relegate to AI? What will that free up potentially on the on the you know uh, uh, transactional tactical side of the ledger that will then th uh, free up those leaders to be more strategic and to spend more time mentoring and managing and developing their teams and less time, you know, managing the bureaucracy. So AI and, and data in general is a big, big demand out there right now. Um, Ken, what are the biggest misconceptions about what hiring criteria should look like um, and which ones need to be left behind from what we've been doing? That's a, that's a really big question. Um, where, where do I start? Um, in terms of, I, I would look at it in terms of criteria, but also process. I think it's it's really kind of one and the same. So from that perspective, job descriptions, as I mentioned before, are really important these days because you know so many people change jobs in 2021 in the Great Resignation, right? And now fast forward to several years, and people are still changing jobs. It's still at a, at a higher rate than usual as far as voluntary quits and job changes, but nowhere near the record pace of 2021 and, and early 22. So to bring those those you know high achieving you know candidates into the mix, you've got to have a compelling job description, and your job description has to be different than what it was before, not just in terms of content, as I described earlier, but more focused around the layout. It's less around list of responsibilities and list of you know requirements for skill set and more around you will impact or you, you will impact our company in this way. You will excel in this role if you have this, right? Here's how you will collaborate with other parts of the organization. Those are the things from a process perspective. And then, you know, this, this in my mind is still around kind of process and tactics, but it's also a bigger question around education. You know, do you really need a four-year college degree for every position? And the default knee-jerk reaction for decades and decades has always been, yes, this is a, any kind of a leadership role. You got to have a four-year degree just to check that box. But the reality is, you know, the, the definition of knowledge and the source of knowledge has changed dramatically. 
it used to only come from a traditional brick and mortar four-year education you know system or institution now it comes from you know gig engagements it comes from you know fiverr or it comes from you know doing something with with um, a lot of gig uh, type roles also whether it's technology or otherwise otherwise you know i just i i do volunteering for junior achievement with high schoolers and i just came from a class earlier today and of the class of 38 people 10% of the folks that were there, so four people, was, were already running their own business. And these are 17-year-olds, right? So, I mean, they are getting wow. that, yeah, they're getting that experience. They're, they're selling apparel. One has a thrift store. One has a, an apparel store for uh, athletes. Uh, one does a lot of, of, of work on Etsy and on Redbubble. So, you know, is that experience less relevant or less powerful because it didn't come from an actual, you know, college? No, not at all. In fact, you have to learn how to be an entrepreneur and run your business. I would put even a little bit more value in that. So back to your question. So the process of hiring and the tactics of hiring has to change along with how we hire and, and, and what we are hiring. What are we looking for in terms of that ideal candidate? You have a hard and fast rule. I mean, you kind of brought up the idea of like, you know, is it necessary to like mandate a college degree? When uh, when is it a deal breaker or deal maker? And like, how should companies be thinking about education and where knowledge comes from? Yeah, I think it really depends upon what, again, what you're trying to solve by filling this, whatever the open position happens to be. Right. And in some cases, it may just be a frontline worker where you need you need a worker bee. And that's understandable. In those situations, is a college degree really necessary? Probably not. You know, maybe you would have liked to hire somebody with 10 years of experience, but if somebody has three or four years, it's probably okay also. So it depends a little bit on the on the you know level of the position. But again, I would look at, you know, education in and of itself does not solve your problem when you're hiring. It's what does that candidate bring to the table that came from their education, whether it was a traditional college, whether it was a purely online, you know, virtual college, or whether it was because they started working at age 15, they never got a college degree because they got an offer right out of high school and they've been, they worked at Xerox or at J&J or at P&G or what have you. And they've learned an awful lot over that time, but they never actually got a four-year degree. So taking a step back and understanding what are we looking for? What is it about knowledge that we're looking for? to fill this position that that has to be part of the conversation and honestly it hasn't been for for many 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 decades you shared um that you're uh, filling leadership roles inside of companies and so i just want to kind of pivot and talk a little bit about the soft skills um that we try to identify and look for when we're filling those types of roles do you have any tips on how we can account for that in candidates so what how do we go about that Yes, I mean, I've been recruiting, like I said, for a very, very long time. And soft skills is always something that's very subjective. You know, what does it mean to be a fit with our culture? What does it mean to be a good communicator? Um, we we have an exercise that we go through with all of our candidates before before we present. And we usually talk to about 75-ish or so candidates for each search that we do. And we narrow it down. We present our short list of the best, you know, four to eight candidates, no matter what the position is. And a lot of what we talk about with the candidate is not just the hard technical skills, but also how they think. And I think soft skills are another way of saying, you know, how do you think? 
right? Do you, do you collaborate? Are you a better collaborator? Are you a better tactician? Somebody else brings you an idea, a plan, a strategy or whatever it might be. And you're really good at executing and taking that plan and the way that you think and your soft skills lend themselves to you working independently, right? Or are you somebody who's more of a strategist, right? Who is better at coming up with the ideas and you, because of that, are a collaborator. Your soft skill strengths are collaboration, communication, talking to other people, you know, bringing other folks in from other departments to get their ideas. That's a, a difference in terms of soft skills. I think, you know, some of the obvious ones are, you know, um, you know, accountability is really important, but also taking ownership for mistakes that were made and not not owning all the great stuff and then you know laying blame when things go bad that's also a soft skill if you're if i'm interviewing a candidate for example and when they talk about all the successes in their business it's always i i i i did this i did that i i impacted this and when it comes to failures when i ask them about challenges that they had or things that they that they encountered that were that were difficult and they say well they did this or they did that yeah that team did this or they they were you know infringing upon this or whatever it may be that, that's that's a bit of a of a indication that they're lacking some of those soft skills for sure um, but we we have an exercise that we go through with every every client and I mean, with every uh, candidate for every search and we ask the candidate to give us three examples of their last three deals, you know, quote unquote deals, whatever that looks like, whether you're a warehouse manager, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in sales, whether you're in biotech and you're on the, on the bench, the last three projects, engagements, deals that you did, talk us through those. What, what were those like? And as you get into that conversation, you're going to hear more and more about how the person thinks and what truly are their soft skills. Where do they really excel in those areas and how do they best operate? Are they, you know, if, if you're a company that is pre-IPO or about to go from phase one to phase two clinical trials, or you're about to release the new generation of your, your best software product, you know, and you're go, go, go 60 hours a week, you're working a lot of hours, hours in the evenings and weekends, you know, and you're talking to a candidate who talks about how important it is for them to have their weekends to themselves, how important it is for them to have things buttoned up, for them to be able to work in a more structured, less chaotic, less fluid environment. But you know, as a hiring manager, that your environment is all about fluidity and it's, it's, everything has changed on a dime. Then you've got to really make sure you're understanding that and asking those questions to match up those soft skills and the, the right culture fit, if you will, for that organization and for that position. Great, um, great tips. And I think those are really valuable questions that the hiring manager can listen for and have a better understanding. Um, you shared um, some, uh, I think, critical things for organizations to be thinking about as they are going to be doing a job posting. And that was the employment brand that they're putting forward. Can you talk through what you mean by that and what companies should consider when they think about what brand do they, are they, are they really putting out there for the company? Yeah, I, I think it should start with uh, talking to your current employees and asking them how they would define the employment brand. And some companies are really good at that. They even have you know, a career section on their website that includes some video testimonials of current employees uh, or may just be you know, text uh, testimonials, but you know, a little bit of a snapshot into what it's like to work there. But it, go but it goes beyond that and, and talking to current employees really gives you a really good insight into what that looks like. So I think understanding the employment brand is all 
all about you know who are the kinds of people and what are the types of, of profiles that really do well in our company. Again, are they later stage executives? Are they earlier stage, really hungry employees? Are they folks that, you know, that come from our competitors or are they folks that come from our com a completely different sector and they truly bring new ideas, new innovation, more disruptive you know, ideas into our, our company? Again, back to my comment a few minutes ago, you know, do they thrive more so in a fluid environment where things are a bit chaotic, maybe a bit unstructured, where you're going you know, hard charging on project A today and then tomorrow you're like, okay, I got to change course completely and now we're going all about project B. Um, you know, what is that, what is that um, operating style look like and how do things get done? People always say you know, that, that culture is not the what gets done, but how it gets done. Is it, is it a very, you know, top down kind of an organization where, you know, the, the directives come from on high and everybody's expected to fall in line. And that's not necessarily a, a right or a wrong thing. It's less common these days than what it used to be, but that's one way, or is it more bottom up? And with every, every senior engagement decision, you know, senior leaders are asking for it and, and really inviting input from the lower level employees, the frontline people, to get a good understanding of what it is that, that's missing or what they should consider uh, when making that hire and, and filling that. So all those things really um, comprise some, a company's employment brand. But I think a lot of companies don't even think about it. They think about their brand in terms of their product and their service on the outside. They don't think much about, hey, what, what is our brand internally? What do people think about us? Whether or not you have an employment engagement survey, that's, that's uh, you know, beside the point. But what do our, our team members think of us? Why do people stay here as long as they do? Or why do people leave consistently after only six months or a year with the company? What is, what is right or wrong with how we're operating? And that, that in and of itself is your employment brand. I think that's um, obviously really good things to be thinking about. Um, I know that you have a very uh, deep history um, in doing recruiting. I'm curious, do you do it for any particular industry sector or um, narrow niche or is it just broad? Yeah, so our, our niche is more on the functional side than it is on the industry side. So we okay. have, you know, large clients that are in the automotive space, for example, Kia and Hyundai America are our two largest clients. And, you know, they're obviously multi-billion dollar automotive companies. But then we have companies that are $20 million, that companies that you would never have heard of unless you happen to be in their space. But yeah, we have companies that are technology, SaaS and cyber and, and, and uh, as well as manufacturing, automotive, biotech, you know, across the board when it comes to industry. But where we really thrive and, and back to knowing our employment brand, you know, our brand and our niche, our expertise is functionally, right? And so that's functional around sales leadership, marketing leadership. I mentioned operations leadership earlier. We do a lot of HR leadership positions and then C-suite, which is a president, CEO, or CEO position. So those kind of, you know, four or five verticals, functional verticals is really where we thrive. Fantastic. Um, is there any guidance or um, I guess recommendations that you would suggest to set the expectation if, a, if someone who's listening today knows that they're going to be recruiting for a leadership level functional position in their company, how much time should they allow for from um, start, yes, pull the trigger, let's hire and getting that process done to having someone on board? Yeah, so our, our, 
Sure. Yeah. yeah, That's a good question. Our, um, and that's changed over the years, right? Pre-COVID, if you'd asked me that question, I would say it was, you know, our our average time to fill a position from the day we start to the day the person shows up physically or virtually in the job was about 48 days, right? So a little, little over six weeks. Fast forward to today in 2024, and it's about, it's about 75 days. It's it's longer. Um, So depending upon the level of the position, and of course, you know, uh, on, what the skills are they're looking for back to the job description, right? If they're in a market, like in, I'm, in, I'm based here in San Diego. And if I have a client that's automotive, for example, I know I'm not going to be recruiting from San Diego. There's no automotive companies here. So it depends on where you're going to, what market you're going into. But, you know, for a typical leadership role, senior leadership, VP or above, you know, usually you want to, uh, you know, <laughs> assume it's going to be about anywhere from 90 to 120 days from the day you launch the day the person shows up. Um, and that largely depends upon how much bandwidth your internal team has. That's honestly, what's why a lot of clients come to us. They've tried to fill a job on their own and there's such a sense of urgency and they're already spread so thin, you know, so many internal recruiters and HR folks have so many wrecks on their plate already that the real high impact roles, they don't have time for. So they come to us and they say, Hey, can we offload this to you? I always say that we're, you know, we're not your GP to tell you if you have a cold, but when you need a surgeon, a real specialist to go in and focus, that's why, you know, companies come to us. Fantastic. And are you willing to um, promote and or share um, a tip or two about like, where do you, where do you get the most um, candidates from? Like, where do you boost? Where do you place your ads, especially at these levels? Sure. So we don't do any any paid ads at all. We don't we don't use any job boards at all. We use LinkedIn, as you might expect. That's kind of the the Bible these days when it comes to recruiting for internal or for search firms like ours. But we have three sources. We go to our database because we are so specialized. We've been doing mm-hmm. this for a long time. My company is 17 years old. We have a lot of great people in our database already. That's number one. Number okay. two is our referral network. And this is something as an, as a, a small aside, I would say companies that don't already have a referral program in place should put one in place. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, if I, I'd love for you to come to me and engage us, but you can save that fee by having an employment refer employee referral program in place. If you, you know, pay your employees a thousand or a couple thousand dollars to bring you really good talent, that's a great way a to get good talent, and B, it's a great way to really, you know, engage your employees to help fill those gaps. And they already know the employment brand, so they're only going to bring you people that they know would fit into that brand. So that's a a parenthetical statement I would make. So that's really important. Um, that's number two is our referral network. And number three is LinkedIn. You know, when I got into recruiting, there wasn't a LinkedIn back in the late nineties. Then as LinkedIn, you know, became more and more, more prominent, it became, you know, the, the, the kind of methodology, if you will, kind of the mechanics of recruiting changed. It used to be all about how do you figure out who is the best person to go after for this given position, who are the top 50 CMOs in the automotive space, whatever it is. Now with LinkedIn, it's much easier to find out who those people are. Now the secret sauce is all about the messaging. How do you get any of those top 50 people to respond to your outreach? You have to know your client. You have to know what they're looking for. You have to know what makes that candidate tick also. So the messaging is really, really important. Good. Thank you for sharing that insight. I think um, I would imagine that having access to LinkedIn versus the 90s is just an exponentially easier tool. So yeah. Yes. Um, 
I am just going to wrap this up. Is there any final recruitment and or hiring tip that I have not thought to ask of you that would be um, some gold you'd like to sprinkle on to our deliberate leaders out there? Yeah, I think it definitely is important, especially in today's market, to have you know several sets of eyeballs to look at a candidate, to talk to a candidate before you make that hiring decision. I think you know again, it's it's uh, it's it's tough. It's if it's a confidential search. Granted, that's a difficult situation to be in. But barring that, really getting a few different perspectives on a given candidate, and again, clarifying whether or not those folks are just going to give you a data point or have veto power is really important. But you know, everybody comes at it with a different lens. And, you know, you might see something in candidate A that somebody else says, hey, I like candidate B better. And it's really important. And I also think that really, if you do that, it helps to eliminate, you know, unconscious bias. We all want to be with, hang out with, and hire people that sound like us, that have similar tastes that you can hang out with and, you know, have a beer with after work kind of thing. But that's not what you're trying to do when you're trying to fill a position. You're trying to hire the best person for that role. That per best, best person may have gone to a different school or maybe no school. They may come from your industry or a totally different industry, and they may not even look, at, look or sound at all like you. And having several people on that interviewing panel will help to at least diminish, if not eliminate, that unconscious bias. That is a fantastic closing tip. So thank you very much for that. Ken, I super appreciate your time today. I hope that recruiting in 2024 is a stellar year for you. Thank you very much. It was great being here. Thank you.